was, uh, in my opinion, certainly a defining moment um, for the city. It forged cooperative relationships between our city and other uh, jurisdictions that selflessly helped in, uh, in our time of need. It'll also be remembered as, as a day that led to many positives. It truly defined the word community among neighbors, families, organizations, residents, and our city council and staff. It was, it was obviously a lot of long days. We were extremely tired, but you know what? Uh, when you look back and, you know, people lost loved ones here, they lost their homes, you know, all their possessions, uh, you know, it was, it was good to be in that position, an officer in the department, you know, giving back to the community. But that, that's something I always remember. I mean, there was a lot of volunteers from the public it was a pretty unique effort with everybody. It, it really showed community. I mean, everybody really cared. It was pretty cool. The Collins English Dictionary offers three definitions of the word community. The first definition of community is all the people who live in a particular area or place. In this series, that area and place is Montgomery, Ohio, which was struck by a powerful tornado 20 years ago on April 9th, 1999. In this final episode of our four-part series, we'll hear how the Montgomery community came together to begin to rebuild and heal from the impact of the tornado. I'm Greg Leader, and this is Weathering the Storm, Episode 4, Community. I think of everyone that came to help. That's Ellen Mavripolis. Whether it was a busload of high school kids that came and they were picking up things in our backyard and trying to, you know trying to help, you know, in any way they could, giving us a collection of, of books and things that flew out, whether they were ours or not, but thinking that maybe we could salvage them, and unfortunately most of those things couldn't be because they were full of fiberglass and so forth. Um, they couldn't be salvaged, but people tried. They didn't know what was ours or what was important, you know, mementos and keepsakes, but um, there were people there with chainsaws cutting cutting the trees up that were, you know, piled on top of everything um, and uprooted. People just came from everywhere, so... Um, it was all all positive interactions. I, I can't think of a, a negative interaction whatsoever. It was just overwhelming. All of us really, I think, experienced PTSD from it. And so that, that shock and so forth kind of serves a purpose to, to cushion you as you're getting through all of that. And so a lot of these memories I've probably forgotten over the years. But um, what stands out, though, is just how positive it all was and how just how everyone came together and they were so supportive. Our oldest son, Ryan, has Down syndrome, and he at the time was in third grade. And he grew up, I mean, he's always defied the odds, but he loved books, still does. And we had, so we had this huge collection of children's books. Um, and he would, when he had a crib, he would literally climb out, take all of his books, put them in the crib, climb in with them, and sit there looking through his books. And so 
it was like such an important thing for us, all these books, for him because he loved them, but for us because it was like, you know, we were determined he was going to, you know, learn to read and, and he had so much to overcome that books were really important. And so when his room was blown up and all those books were blown all over the backyard, that was really like a heartbreaking thing for us. Never mind the roof and the, you know, furniture. It's like the books meant so much more. And that's what those high school girls collected in the backyard and they brought us back this box of books and we thought, oh, well, this is wonderful. We'll clean them up. But we couldn't, they couldn't be clean. You'd, you'd cut your fingers turning the pages. But then that was something that, that the school collected books and gifted them to us, you know? So it's like they tried to replace them, you know, which was this wonderful gesture as well. After more than 3,000 volunteers showed up two days after, uh, the tornado to help, many of which had flip-flops on and baby carriages. Uh, it became readily apparent that, that we were not able to manage this large influx of well-intended people. That's Montgomery's city manager at the time of the tornado, Cheryl Hilbert. St. Barnabas Church stepped up and hired a full-time volunteer coordinator who assists us for a year and a half with volunteer management for the disaster. And um, I I can't say enough about the work that they did. Other churches prepared and delivered meals um, for recovery workers, and and they did that for months. One church would work regularly out of uh, uh, the very small kitchen with limited facilities that was uh, still at the public works uh, building. Uh, It was amazing what these two or three ladies were able to cook in crock pots and microwaves, and um, they they were amazing. The food was just always so much better, and uh, with it came a whole lot of love from the people that that were providing it. The second definition of community is a group of people who are similar in some way. I don't like severe weather. That's former WCPO chief meteorologist Pete Delkis, who we met in episode one. And there's a lot of meteorologists that, that they live for the tornado day. And that's okay, because we learn things with every tornado. But it's always bothered me from a meteorological standpoint. I I would be happy if we never had large hail damaging winds or tornadoes, because I know when we have severe weather, I know people get hurt. I know things get broken. And it just, that morning, you know, knowing what was going on, and now 20 years later, knowing all that I have learned in the last 20 years, Looking back, my perspective really hasn't changed because when I left the studio that morning, when it was all said and done and I drove north and I went up to Montgomery to see the damage, again, that's that's where I had lived. I knew those people and it broke my heart. It broke my heart to see these homes, these beautiful neighborhoods. I lived a couple blocks from there. It broke my heart to see these, these, these neighborhoods that were just flattened. And you look at people's belongings. Their, their underwear is hanging in trees, in bushes. Their clothes are thrown all over. There's pictures, their check register. All of these personal items are just thrown all over the place. And there's lives that are shattered. There's, there's people that, that, that died. You think about the, the human impact of that. Forget about the meteorological impact. The human impact, the, the lives that were changed that morning, and that's the kind of stuff that breaks my heart. And that's the kind of re- that's that's the reason why I never want bad weather like that to happen. But it really changed me 
uh, pretty dramatically uh, to the point where I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to leave Cincinnati because it gave me such an emotional connection to to there. My kids were born there, you know. I I, I was a young man when I started. I felt like I left, you know, nine years later as an adult. It, it, it really kind of changed my perspective in that I didn't know if I would ever be able to take a job outside of Cincinnati again because of the emotional connection. It really changed my life too that morning. And uh, that's one of the reasons why, several of the reasons why, I just hate to see storms like that take place is what it does to people's lives. One of my kids was very much impacted by it. And, um, you know, he was the, you know, the one that was studying the weather that week. And actually for until the last couple of years, he really wanted to be a meteorologist. And he just embraced the study of weather and forecasting. And, you know, it became like everyone knows him as the weather guy. That's Jill Cole. My youngest was so young that he, um, I think he just kind of missed a lot of it. I think he, he was only four, almost five then. So I don't know how many actual memories he has versus memories he has that people have told him. My oldest seemed to be, it seemed to roll off his back a little bit, but then actually a couple of years later when 9-11 happened, um, I think that's when it, that was just the thing. And, and, you know, we, we did go through some therapy for, um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and, you know, my understanding of it is that sometimes when thing, when a normal event happens to you, you file it away in your filing cabinet. But when something like this happens, sometimes no matter what you try to do, it's always right there. And part of the therapy is to try to get, to process it, to put it back, you know, it's always going to be in a special drawer maybe, but not not on the top of your in-basket every day. And so I felt that one of my kids wound up experiencing that trauma a little bit of a delayed. So, you know, the, my advice would be to anybody is to, you know, get the appropriate care. There's help for these. There's nothing shameful or bad. It's your body's way of processing what happens. You know, you're under so much stress. You have all this adrenaline and your body just gives out after a while. And that's how it protects itself. So just being aware of, of the behaviors, aware of the signs and, and engaging the care team, you know, that can, can help provide the support because these, you know, you can get through these things, but it's hard to do it on your own. There was definitely a loss of innocence for my children and other people's children, you know, from that event um, because we couldn't promise. They knew better. We all knew better, but we couldn't sit there and say it's all going to be okay when everyone knows we can't make those kind of promises. In terms of immediate kind of feelings about weather, there's definitely weather-related issues that have lessened over time. But in the short term, um, for example, after residence in, we found a uh, temporary rental home over in Swain Field. We stayed in the neighborhood. We wanted to keep the kids at Mapledale, and, and everybody was so helpful in helping us get these arrangements together. But the home we chose backed up to the highway where they had recently built um, the, the sound barrier along 71. And when we thought we did this great thing and we actually found a rental home in this neighborhood where they would go to the same school with their friends and we get the kids out of the car to show them here's this great house we're going to be in for a while while we're building our new one. The first thing that happened after we got out of the car was one of my children walked to the backyard where there was this really cool playhouse and some trees and we thought well we're giving you back some trees in a backyard because our former house had the whole backed up to the nature preserve. We thought we're giving them a sense of normalcy but the first thing that happened was one of our sons immediately got back in the car and didn't even want to go there and we found out it's because it sounded like the tornado to him. So the highway behind the house 
where we thought we were giving them a sense of normalcy actually sounded like a tornado. And for a long time, it seemed like all roads led back to the tornado. You know, we, we had just so many obstacles along the way related to insurance and building and emotional issues and taking the kids to therapy. And, and there was just so much. It just felt like, again, all roads led back to the tornado for a good 18 months to two years. After that, after we were back in our homes and back with our immediate neighbors and working through some of those things, little by little, it gets back to the new normal. Um, But it does seem like life was pre-tornado and post-tornado. There was a definite change that really altered our lives forever. With respect to weather specifically, my kids now tell me that they have no weather issues whatsoever. And I think they're just trying to... First of all, they point out that I do have weather issues, and I do, and I admit it fully. I mean, I could be driving down the road and see a little swirl of leaves in the fall, and I, I get a little, I feel that, I just feel it, you know? It's, it's an involuntary, you know, very visceral response. But I feel like I've got a better handle on it now, but I almost feel like they tell me they have no weather issues just to get me to back off when I'm telling them, you know, pay attention to the weather. Um, but hopefully they'll, they'll, hopefully they are actually forgetting those feelings, but they'll stay aware the rest of their lives as I did. We introduced you to Shannon Caldwell in earlier episodes. Shannon and her brother, Ryan, lost their parents in the tornado. Shannon wrote a book called The Healing Season, in which she shares her healing process following the tornado. You know, somebody said to me in the immediate period following the tornado, I mean, just within days after it, I mean, essentially, as soon as I got back to my house and my daughter, she said, you know what the good news is, Shannon? She said, this is, this is the beginning of your healing. This is not the tornado anymore. This is you healing from it. So just be aware of the fact that what you're doing right now is going to affect all of the steps toward your healing. And my friends, they really encouraged me at the time to sort of walk through it in real time because, you know, it's everybody's inclination to just sort of put a helmet on and bury it because it hurts and who wants to, right? But the thing is that we all have to deal with those one way or another, something like this will demand your attention, whether it's crying about it at a therapist's office or whether it is 20 years down the road when you have a chronic diagnosis. You have to take care of your stuff. And so that is why I'm really grateful that my friend said that to me because it allowed me then to, in real time, start to work on it and never stop. So initially, it meant I had to reduce stress in my life. I was living in an incredibly high-stress work environment and a single mom, and so I had to go, okay, let's find some places where I can find joy and peace, you know? And it looked like a whole bunch of other things, including talk therapy and, you know, work with my pastor who was the one who initially threw down the healing season challenge, which was, you know, to come after this, what I was feeling like was an empty, broken spot inside of me, left directly by the tornado. And he just said, look, let's just go after it, right? So that's where the healing season came from, 
from that challenge from my pastor, you know, and every person who's like been along the road going, you know, just keep walking, just take one more step. And that's how I continue to try to help not just myself, but other people, including my family, you know, to just take one little step in the right direction. Or if you have to, stay still and know that you're not alone. I mean, there were definitely days where I had no fight in me, but I wasn't alone. And that was clear. That was so, so clear. And you know what? That's when times like that little journal from my brother's youth group came in handy. So when my pastor gave me this 40-day challenge, which involved 40 days of really just like instead of covering over the empty broken spot actually like just sitting with it and going okay well how big is it how intense you know any idea what it's made out of what are you remembering today right and prayer and journaling and scripture meditation for 40 days and i thought you know if i'm going to go on this journey and i must have some hope that it's going to work And if it's going to maybe work, then maybe I should invite my friends who are also heartbroken to try it out for size. And so rather than just doing it in a journal on my desk, I did it in a journal on a blog. The Healing Season was a blog, a 40-day blog. And actually, in that process, I ended up healed. God filled the empty broken spot and that was amazing and it still has been filled now all this time later and when when the blog was complete I really did feel like a prompting to release it and so I have we really really do all have tornadoes they're not all actual tornadoes, but we all get our house turned upside down. And so I wanted somebody to know, you know, that there really is hope. The final definition of community is friendship between different people or groups and a sense of having something in common. Most of us, you know, came out, um, at least physically, unscathed, you know, alive. Some people were hurt. Unfortunately, a few people we lost. But for those of us that, you know, survived, um, we actually became much closer. Um, what mattered was that we were all okay. And relationships developed. We, we became friends with some neighbors who we didn't even know before, you know. Um, as you know, in a neighborhood, that as, as it ages and young families move in and the older ones, you know, they age and their kids move away, you don't always interact with people. But this brought everyone together to the point where we were all even designing our homes thinking, who's going to have the porch? Because a porch is where you sit and you, you know, you gather with neighbors. Um, and we have a porch all around our house. As a result of the tornado, when we had to rebuild, we added things thinking we want to be better connected to our neighbors. Um, those relationships were really important. Afterwards, um, we used to all get together as neighbors. And as we were all starting to demolish what was there and and 
level our lots and make plans to rebuild our homes and then start the rebuilding process, we all seem to gather back at the neighborhood around the same time every night after everyone's gone to work or school and the kids are in bed or wherever. And we came back and and we would all kind of meet in the evening, early evening, and we would kind of go lot to lot. And we'd look at, well, what's happening on your lot? What's happening on your lot? And we developed those relationships and conversations that um, were just... You have friends in your life, but this was something after going through a common experience like that, um, that we all did together. Um, but the relationships obviously are what matter. People process things differently and trying to have space and room for people to have, you know, handle it how they need to. But I guess what I did learn is that people are more important than things. And I think we all know that, but I really know it. I really know it. It was funny. People would say, oh my gosh, you've got this great new house and everything is new. And oh my gosh, you know, kind of lucky you. And it's like, oh, not so much. Not so much. We were fortunate. We were so fortunate that we had the resources to have that happen. But and I'd go back to that day before in a minute. This is maybe a little bit, sounds a little bit strange, but... You know, we all lived in the same neighborhood, and I would say it wasn't a neighborhood where, you know, because the houses are kind of set back, and people are enjoying the view of the woods and, and whatnot. But when this happened, all of a sudden we had a lot of people that were not living in their homes anymore. They were staying at the hotel or in a rental home or whatever. And by the time people started getting back to work and, and whatnot, what we would do is kind of, at the end of the day, when everyone's home from work, we'd all just wind up in the neighborhood kind of walking around, you know, talking to each other, how's your process, you know, how's the building, what's, you know, and we became really, um, spent quite a lot of time in helping each other through this. And it was, an odd thing was, sometimes bad things like this happen and you're isolated. You're the only one that it's happened to. But to have a bad thing like this happen and have a community of people that, you know, you don't have to explain what you're going through. They know what you're going through. So the tornado happened in April. So by summer, when everything is greening up again, we all started noticing sunflowers popping up out of the middle of our dirt lots, out of nowhere. And none of us had planted or ever had sunflowers, and we were all puzzled by that. But we started noticing them on almost every lot, and we would have a lot of them. And, and we would have weeds and other things growing up, but there would be these sunflowers and we all loved them and we wondered where they came from and we eventually someone figured out that one of the houses at the end of the cul-de-sac had had in their garage a bag of bird seed that contained sunflower seeds and so when that blew up and dispersed those seeds just kind of flew all around and, and that started the sunflowers and that became a, just really a, a symbol of hope for all of us in the neighborhood. And I now have a painting, a very large painting in my kitchen of sunflowers that is just very meaningful. And it's, it's something that we tie into gifts that we all give each other periodically. What's, you know, little hand towels with sunflowers on it or uh, note cards with, you know, sunflowers. It's, it's just a theme. And in our neighborhood, from those of us who were there at that time, we all know what it means. Um, it was just, it was something beautiful and something that has stayed with me forever and all of us who were there at that time that has a very special meaning but just the fact that of all things sunflowers started popping up out of this you know really traumatic and, and awful event um it was just such a hopeful and beautiful thing there's an old saying the author of which is unknown i want to be like a sunflower so that 
even on the darkest days, I will stand tall and find the sunlight. Weathering the Storm was produced by Faith Lynch and Matthew Vanderhorst of the City of Montgomery and Montgomery Arts Commission Chair Greg Leader. Thank you to Ellen Maveripolis, Jill Cole, Denny Reedmiller, Pete Delkis, Shannon Caldwell, and Ryan Cook for sharing their stories. Also, thank you to the many city employees, retirees, and volunteers that participated in this Remembrance Project. They include Jerry Beitman, John Kroll, Robert Dunham, Pat Giblin, Mike Harbison, Cheryl Hilbert, Dan Miller, Kirk Nordblum, Ben Shapiro, Jim Stewart, Greg Bondenbecken, Terry Willenbrink, Tom Wolfe, and Paul Wright. We invite you to go to storm.montgomeryohio.org, where you can see photos of the destruction and recovery and leave your own story from the tornado. I'm Greg Leader. On behalf of the city of Montgomery, Thank you for listening.